Hello, welcome to the Eagle Tales podcast, a podcast from the Central High School Foundation, keeping you connected to the nest through storytelling and original interviews. I'm your host, Josh Busey. Before we get started, here's a little bit about the foundation. We were established in 1996 to support present and future Central students. And today, we are even more committed to preserving the values of a Central High School education. The foundation supports the school through many activities, like building relationships with alumni, fundraising, student scholarships, teacher classroom grants, and so much more. And we want to work with you. We are so proud of the accomplishments that our students, staff, and 35,000 alumni achieve every day. Your patronage not only supports Central, but it also strengthens Eagle Nation. Be sure to visit our website to learn more at chsfomaha.org. I'm thrilled to introduce our guest for episode six of Eagle Tales, Mike DiGiacomo, 1991 alumnus of Central. Mike is a businessman and very active in the Omaha community. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me here. This is awesome because, you know, the work that the Central High School Foundation is doing, I'm so proud of it. I've been around the Omaha area for a long time. No other school districts, other school, individual schools are doing anything like this. So I appreciate it. There's many distinguished alumni in the Central stratosphere, and I'm hundreds down from the top of that list. So (laughs) it's an honor to be here tonight. We appreciate it. And I always like to start out every episode of Eagle Tales by giving our guest a moment to introduce themselves to our listeners. So Mike, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you bet. I don't really like talking about myself, <laughs> but because I'm usually asking questions, you know, from my time on the morning blender as a news reporter. But I grew up in Omaha. We grew up in the Dundee slash Benson area on uh, about Country Club in Blondo in that area, we're kind of where they intersect. Uh, went to Harrison Elementary School, 54th and Hamilton. Uh, then went to Lewis and Clark Junior High, which I guess they call it. I guess it's a middle school now. Middle is school what they now, call it. Yep. yeah. And I would take, the, I think it was a number two Matt bus to Lewis right? and Clark at the time. And then went to Central High School for 10th grade. I, do they go to Central in ninth grade now? Is that how it all works? Because when I was there, Lewis and Clark, I was there from 7th, 8th, and ninth, and then high school was 10th, 11th, and 12th. Now it is 9th through 12th. Okay. Yep, at I, Central, I yep. wish I would have had one more year at Central <laughs> High School. Middle school years can be tough. I would have loved to have gotten to Central High School a year earlier. But uh, yeah, then went to Central High School. Uh, had a great time. I had a, a fantastic experience. You know, I'm, I've got my 30-year reunion coming up, and as I've been to other reunions, uh, my 20th, my 25th, you know, there are some people there that like, I didn't really have a very good time in high school. You talk to them about some of those things and like, well, man, I had a, I had the opposite experience. I just had a great time, made some great friends, learned some valuable experiences. And, uh, you know, everybody in the central high school community at the time I was there, you know, Doc Moeller and all the teachers, Rita Ryan and from Latin class, man, just a, such a, a positive impact on my life and uh, made a big difference from, you know, high school until now. What do you remember most about your time at Central? What kind of activities were you involved in? You mentioned Rita Ryan and Doc Moeller. Who are some other influential figures from your time at Central? Well, Chuck McAdam, I was in band, and Chuck McAdam was the band director at the time. So he was pretty influential because I spent a lot of time. I was the band president at Central High School. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in the music department in the band room. Is it still down in the same spot? 
with the arts and library edition, the band room is now, I, that's now in the edition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was down below the stage, you know, kind of yep. behind the stage back there when I was there. And so we were, it was kind of its own, it was almost like an annex down there. So I spent a lot of time down there. And so Chuck McAdams, but just walking the hallways and the sound your feet would make walking on the wood and the smell of central high school, it brings back so many memories. And, you know, being on that North wing where the, instrumental music department was, uh, we were kind of isolated. And I, I told a story about at rock the nest this past year when I, um, hosted that about my senior year, I had three lunch hours and two of my lunch hours were study halls. And then I had another study hall class after my real lunch hour. So I would get a pass to get out of study hall to go to instrumental music, but then I wouldn't go to instrumental music. I go to Burger King down the street yep. on Dodge street with a buddy. We get a couple <laughs> whoppers and then come back on campus. Kids, if you're listening, do not sneak <laughs> off campus. I'm not recommending you do that, but I do remember that uh, distinctly my senior year, I had about an hour and a half break in between classes. When you went to central, do you remember anything about things that were going on in Omaha at the time? Like any big events or anything senior year that really sticks out for things that were happening? Not really. I do remember we, we had a, we had like a sit-in protest. I don't remember what it was for. Maybe it was like dress code. I can't remember what it was, <laughs> but we, we all, I'd have to ask my mom cause she was talking to me about this, but we, we all went out to the football field and protested something. I don't even, it was that important that I don't remember what it was, but we protested something. And, um, I just remember we were all nervous about getting in trouble. We came back <laughs> in and we didn't get in trouble, but, um, it, you know, it was fairly typical times. It was right around uh, the first Gulf War, uh, my senior year, I think it was 1991. And so that was a impactful moment for my class that year. But um, pretty typical, pretty typical senior year. So tell us about what happened after you graduated from Central. What was next? Yeah, I went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I had a, a small music scholarship to UNL, their instrumental music department, their school of music. But in order to keep it, I had to major in music. And I decided at one point, I didn't really want to major in music. I would have done performance, but I didn't really want to be a music teacher. And that's what a lot of the people were doing in the, in the instrumental music department at that time at the school of music. So I was general studies for a while and I went over to criminal justice. I became a criminal justice major because I wanted to be a police officer for a long time. So for three years after that, uh, almost till my senior year, I was a criminal justice major and went through all the criminal justice courses. And um, at some point I had a roommate that was in broadcasting and some other friends were in broadcasting and they'd bring their broadcasting projects home. And I'm like, that's cool. And they'd interview me for certain things on their tape recorder. Uh, they'd have a video camera that they'd get to. I'm like, that's awesome stuff. And I'd always had a fascination in, in videos from the time my mom bought my dad a camcorder in like 1982 <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I'd always play with that thing. And I've got several home videos from me when I'm about 12 years old, 12, 13 years old. And so then I switched over to broadcasting my senior year. My parents were not happy about it. <laughs> they weren't looking forward to me being in school a little bit longer. So my senior year, I switched over to broadcasting classes. I had most of my requirements, the standard classes done. So really I, I, I ran through a bunch of broadcasting classes my senior year and maybe another year after that. Maybe a super senior. Um, yeah, maybe. I'm not going to tell you how many of those years I had. But anyway, so I went, I switched over to broadcasting from criminal justice 
And uh, from there, I, I got a job at the CBS affiliate in Lincoln as a sports photographer, really had no experience. I, I learned everything on the job and learned how to do some photography and uh, videography and editing. And from that point, my career in broadcasting took off from there. So I have to ask, when you were at UNL, did you ever try out for the marching band or was that a different kind of great question. Music. I feel like, you know, the answer, you don't know the answer to this. I don't no. I was in the marching band. Oh, you were, Oh, it was an awesome experience. I was in the marching band. I auditioned. I was an A rank trumpet player, which was the top rank at the time. And, um, I was in the marching band for four years, 91 through 94. Pretty 90, good so time that, to be oh in the gosh, band. Great time to be in the band. We went to four straight orange bowls. The first orange bowl we went to, um, it was 22 to nothing. We got beat by a Miami. That was a little bit of a bummer, but then we came back and played Florida State a couple years in a row and almost won that national championship in 93, which was a heartbreaker being down at the game. I remember sitting in the end zone and the Florida State fans were kind of sectioned around the marching band at the time. And the Florida State fans were giving us a hard time because they, because we looked like we were going to win this thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then they go down and kick the field goal and they, and then we get a, a, an attempt on the field goal and we miss it, and the Florida State fans just gave it to us down there in the end zone. I felt so terrible. I'm like, we'll never get back to yep. this point again. I, here I am. I'm like, I'm a junior in college, and uh, we've had a couple heartbreaking losses down at the Orange Bowl in a row. And then finally like we're, broke we're through. right there, right there, the national championship for a field goal, and we didn't get it. Of course, everybody knows the rest. We came back the next year and beat <laughs> Miami in the Orange Bowl to win the national title, which was an awesome experience. I was sitting in that same end zone, and then after the game, you know, we went down on the field and um, pulling turf up and like putting it in a bottle and taking it home with was me. Was it gra natural grass? It was natural grass, yeah. yeah. One other thing is I um, I can't remember if it was that Orange Bowl or the year before, I was down on the sideline and we're getting ready to do our halftime performance for the Orange Bowl. And at that time, the Orange Bowl halftime show was, you know, it was big, it was a kind of a big deal. But anyway, we're doing our halftime show and um, uh, on the sideline, sitting on the bench was the sideline announcer. And you may know his name. His name was OJ Simpson <laughs> and he's, he's got a microphone in one hand and he's got some, uh, some notes in the other hand. And I'm like, I, I go, man, I'm never going to OJ Simpson. You know, I'm never going to get to see oh, him again. No. So I said, Mr. Simpson, how you doing? I go, hi, I'm Mike. Nice to meet you. And he shook his hand out, kind of looked up at me. I interrupted him as he's reading his notes and I shook his hand and, uh, off he went and we did the <laughs> halftime show. And then of course, uh, a few months later, we, we all know what happened with Mr. Simpson from there, but, um, that was just one of the, one of the, um, most memorable things I remember from the orange. Yeah. Bowl. You don't forget about that. No. You said the CBS affiliate in Lincoln mm -hmm. is where you first kind of got your first job yeah. in broadcast journalism. What were some of the things that you were doing while you were working there? It was pretty cool. I learned, I learned a lot of things there. So when I got to the sports department, I think it was 1997. It was Osborne's last, I think it was his last year. So I covered that last national championship for Osborne and I was doing sports. There was a brand new sports director and a, a weekend sports guy that had just started at that station. So I was kind of like the third sports person in the department. The, both of the guys that had, that were there, they, they both had experience back then. You had to have a lot more experience to get those type of jobs than you do now. So I, I learned, I was, I was fortunate enough to learn a lot from those two guys who were down there, uh, Scott Kilbury and Luke Stuckmeyer. Luke Stuckmeyer went on to work in San Antonio. It worked at Comcast Sports in Chicago recently and is now one of the anchors in, uh, for one of the major affiliates in Chicago. And then wow. 
uh, Scott Kilberry. I think he, he's kind of been across all across the country. He's, uh, now I think he's the morning anchor for maybe in, I think Denver or Colorado Springs, one of those two markets. Um, so they went on to do good things. So yeah, I was fortunate to, to learn a lot about the industry from those guys. And, uh, from there I started anchoring weekend sports and then started anchoring sports from there. And at the time, the CBS affiliate 10, 11 in Lincoln was, was doing all the state high school basketball stuff. So I'd do the state tournaments, be the sideline guy and, and interview all the coaches and stuff after the games. And so I got gained a lot of experience doing that stuff after a while though. Well, it was kind of cool because I did cover Osborne's last year. I was there yeah. for the press conference. I was in the room when he made all that, uh, had that big press conference retiring and Scott Frost was on the podium saying, we're going to miss you coach. And then we mm-hmm. obviously went to the orange bowl that year. Uh, so cover covered that whole transition from Osborne to Solich, which was really neat. I remember being in the CBS affiliate in Lincoln, the Lincoln stations, K O L N, which was 10, 11, the CBS affiliate. And then across town is K L K N, which is channel eight. We were at every single practice during the week. The Omaha stations didn't go down to Lincoln to cover every single practice. Sure. So I was there every single <laughs> post-practice to interview Osborne and interview Solich. And I just remember, I was just talking about this the other day is, you know, how much influence did Osborne have on Solich, mm, you know, sure, yeah. as Osborne always said, he wanted to stay uh, out of it. He, he wanted to kind of stay out of the limelight. He didn't want to have any influence, but I could tell you many times post-practice, I would see Osborne's pickup truck sitting outside practice. And then after practice, Solich would walk out to the pickup truck. He'd get in the front of the pickup truck and they'd be talking. Really? Right? And those were, there was no internet back then. There was no, <laughs> you couldn't take cell phone video and, and, and we never shot it. It just wasn't a big deal. I didn't take video of Solich walking to Osborne's truck. Would have been big news though. It would have been. Yeah. yeah. Cause they, we, he would console with him a lot, you know, and, huh. but Osborne wanted to stay out of the, out of the limelight. He, they'd have conversations in their pickup truck. I remember that. Uh, so that was kind of interesting to see and just a lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes. But uh, yeah, then I transitioned over to news. I got kind of tired of sports. I, was tired of kind of interviewing athletes, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I didn't like, I'd go to some of those interviews and it didn't seem like they really wanted to be there. And I didn't really want to be there either. And so we were both doing interviews that we really didn't want to be at. And I'm didn't like, turn yeah. out great. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do, do sports anymore. So I, I had more of an interest in news. So then I went to the news director at some point and they had a, a news opening as a reporter. And I said, Hey, I'd like to try out news. I'd like to get in and, see if this is something I could give a shot at. And so I did, he, he gave me a job as a news reporter and I was a news reporter for a couple of years, anchored the news and, and then obviously went on to channel seven and then channel three after that. Yeah. Some of our listeners are probably familiar for you because of your time on the morning blend. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about how that came together and what were some of your favorite parts about that? Yeah. I'll tell you about my journey there. Is um, after I left 1011, I went to Channel 7. Uh, Roseanne Shannon, longtime news director, hired me there. And I was in the Lincoln Bureau. So if you're familiar with Channel 7, in the Lincoln Bureau now, it was an office space in the NBC Bank building at the time. And Andrew Ozaki, longtime Capitol Bureau chief, works there still to this day. I'm good friends with him, and we talk a couple times a week via text and maybe on the phone once a month or so. So I went to work with him in the Capitol Bureau. And so I covered Lincoln. I covered state politics. I covered the university. I covered any news developments with the football team, any criminal stories down there, crime. And so I had the whole Lincoln market that I would cover. 
uh, gained a lot of experience from Andrew Ozaki. I uh, worked there for uh, over seven years in the Lincoln Bureau. Would come up to Omaha and do news stories occasionally, but primarily lived in Lincoln uh, ever since I went to the college down there. I left TV in, I think, 2000, late 2007 or 2008. I can't remember what year that was. Right after the West Roads Mall shootings. And uh, I just remember that distinctly because that's right the week that I was leaving. So that you know, kind of made a big impact on me and got out of news for a year or so before starting a business with my brother. And we got that company going. And about a year after that, I got a call from channel three, one of the producers that said, Hey, we've got, we're, we're launching this new show called the morning blend. And we're looking for a host. We already have one host. Uh, her name is Mary Nelson. We've hired her. We're looking for a male co-host. And, um, I wasn't really excited about getting back into TV, but I met with them and they had a, a great pitch and the show sounded like an interesting new concept to the Omaha market. And, um, I auditioned for them. Uh, I know they auditioned a bunch of people and they offered me the job at some point. So we did that show for eight years in Omaha, which was something new that Omaha hadn't seen since the eighties. I think in the eighties, there was a show called like wake up Omaha or (laughs) I can't remember what it was. And it hasn't had something. It hasn't had anything like that. And so this was really, it was a really cool concept because there was no news. You're spotlighting local stuff in Omaha. And what a lot of people maybe didn't know, or maybe a lot of people knew that, that uh, businesses could come on and sponsor a segment. So we did have some paid content that people would come on and if they wanted to spotlight their business, they'd pay to come on the show. We'd talk about it. But then we also had a lot of other content that was not paid. It was stuff happening in the community, local bands, um, a lot of nonprofit organizations that gave them a great platform to talk about their events, to talk about ways to fundraise and to help, you know, the Omaha community. So from that aspect, it was really rewarding that, you know, we could spotlight things that I cared about in Omaha being from Omaha. It would be a lot different had I done the show in Cincinnati where I didn't know anybody and I didn't have connections and bonds to a lot of people. And that's one of the reasons I never left Omaha is because I, you know, I, w- I was at the place I wanted to be. I wanted to be in Omaha. I never, I had aspirations to maybe go to the big network, you know, and be on Good Morning America or whatever it is. But at, at the same time, I'm like, well, to do that, you got to make a lot of sacrifices. You got to leave a lot of your friends and family. So I, I made the commitment to myself. I'm just going to stay in Omaha for the rest of probably my foreseeable career. And so doing the morning blend uh, for eight years in Omaha was very rewarding and just an awesome time to learn a lot about my community that I grew up in and, and help a lot of different nonprofits and businesses and um, entertainers that would come through. We had a lot of celebrities that came on the show um, and the funny bone brought a lot of comics on as well. Uh, So a lot of great memories from that. And at the same time as you were hosting this, you also had your business with your brother, right? Yeah. So how were you able to, (laughs) to juggle these things and do them at the same time? Well, I was fortunate because when they were looking for a second co-host, they'd hired Mary Nelson and she was a full-time employee. So she did a lot of the, she did some producing on the show and, and some writing and some coordination for the next day's show. The second position, uh, the co-host that they were looking for, it was just a part-time position. I basically came in, I did the show and then I left, which was awesome. It's like, there's yeah. no job in television where you can do that unless you're Sounds like Ryan Seacrest, right? Where he just come in and just do the show and leave. Like it was the perfect job for what I was looking for. And so the show started at nine. I'd get there about eight thirty, sometimes really? closer to nine. 
And then I would leave about 10, 15, 10, 30. And then I'd go off to uh, my office for the, our payment processing company and work that. And I did that for obviously eight years. What were some of the challenges you've learned as a business owner? Like what are some of the things that you've learned along the way? Oh man, I've learned a lot. I think you kind of learn those things as you go throughout the years. It's long time consuming hard work to get to, to get a business off the ground. You may have a great idea, but you have to be able to, to pivot at certain points to figure out, you know, what's working, what's not working. And, and I think it's those moments in your business career that help define some of the success is, is making changes, recognizing what's working and what's not working, and then kind of being able to adjust those things and adjusting to those things. And that's one of the biggest things because a lot of people, they have ideas, right? I mean, we have an idea, want to go do it. But oftentimes when you get into it, it's not exactly going to work how you think it's going to work. And so being able to adjust to those unexpected occurrences, I think is really important. In 2016, you and your siblings founded Blackstone Social, which is a small bar in the revitalized Blackstone district. Talk to us a little bit about the growth of that area, that, that community and how the bar is doing. Yeah. The Blackstone district is an incredible area. My dad purchased a building in 1977 at 3910 Farnham Street. He was a beautician. He had a hair salon out of there uh, back in the early 80s. He was one of the first in the area to put in tanning beds, like unheard of, right? Wow. Like you, go, you mean you go lay in these beds and then you get tan? <laughs> so he had a couple of these tanning beds in there. And it was just a, it's a small uh, beauty salon. It, it was a thousand square feet upstairs. I think he had two or three stylists working for him at the time. And he... He did that industry for 47 years. He was a beautician for 47 years, bought that building in 77. He retired in 2005, then leased that space out to a bunch of girls who were opening their own hair salon because it had the head washing stations, it had everything set up for a salon. So he just leased it out to some other girls. So um, they uh, operated out of that space for about 10 years, about 2015, they all broke up and they split up and they went their separate ways. So then we had, my dad had this property sitting there and, and at the time the Blackstone district, Brad Iwan, a central alumnus owned a building across the street for his uh, photography studio. He put a lot of energy into the neighborhood to create a business district there and, and worked on making that street uh, two ways rather than one way made it. He had, he had a big role in that along with green slate development. And so at the time, uh, we saw that there was an opportunity in this neighborhood for things to start developing. And so we, we looked at a couple different models. Maybe we put another head, uh, beauty salon in there because it's got everything set up the way it yep. should be. Yep. Uh, but then we kind of looked at that and like, I don't know if we want to manage that type of operation. That sounds like, <laughs> seems like there's a lot of personalities that could be involved in that. Could see that. Yeah. So uh, we're like, what does a neighborhood need? And, they, and so eventually we decided to put a little speakeasy in the basement. That was our initial concept. But then we're like, that's ah, kind of small to invest all this money. So I'm like, well, let's do the, let's do a bar upstairs and a little hidden speakeasy in the basement. So that's what we did. Blackstone social was born. So that's the main business upstairs. And then Segreto is a secret bar down in the basement. You get to from the rear entrances, which opened a year later. And so that was our concept and it's been going great ever since. We're not, geniuses. We got lucky because uh, the neighborhood really blew up and Blackstone Social really was doing did. really yeah. well. Yeah. And Dan Houlihan, a central grad, yes. owned Sullivan's Bar. Sullivan's across the street. Across the street. So yep. the, the 
central alumnus fingerprint is all over the Blackstone district. And um, we actually opened a, another location out West called social at 192nd. So we did kind of sell out and we went to the suburbs as well. <laughs> Remove Blackstone. It's just the social. It's just social. social. Yeah. Yeah. It's social. So no, those things are going real well too. Good. Here at the foundation, we've been fortunate to have you help with some of our events, including Rock Nest Trivia Night. Why do you think you continue to stay involved with Central and some of its events? Well, first of all, Michelle, who heads up the foundation, ropes me into this stuff. Okay, <laughs> let's get that out of the way. Uh, but no, I do it because I, I love Central. I've got great memories. All my buddies, we get together and talk about the good old days, the high school memories they have. And then, you know, it's hard not to stay involved when you have a foundation in a school that continues to thrive. And that's the most encouraging thing because once the locomotive is running down the tracks and it's moving at a pretty good clip of speed, people are just going to jump on, you know, and that's what I've done. I've jumped on because people are doing so many great things, right? So I want to do everything I can to help the foundation. We're helping out a little bit with the golf tournament this year. We're, we're going to participate in the golf tournament. Uh, I help out with any central foundation events that I'm asked to help out with because so many other people way more important than me are doing so many great things to continue to do what central high school has been doing for many years. And really the only inner city high school, public high school that's, that's right. doing this type of stuff. It's just incredible. If you look around the country, I know that there was uh, when I, when I took a tour through central high school as a, a ninth grader at Lewis and Clark elementary school. Who was it that came in? Um, I think it was Jesse Jackson at the time. Jesse Jackson ran for president in the late eighties and he toured central high school. And when I went on the tour of central high school, I specifically remember the tour guide saying, yeah, Jesse Jackson was here last year. And when he walked into this courtyard, he said, this is one of the most beautiful gems of a public high school he's ever seen, you know, the courtyard and everything. And I just, that always, yeah, I always remember that, and it was really cool. Very cool. How was your golf game? Are you ready Terrible. for the golf? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I went to Oregon a couple weeks ago and golfed. It was a golf trip with a bunch of buddies, and we played five rounds in three days. Way too much golf That's for me. That's a lot of golf. Way too much golf because I'm not that good. I'm like a 25 or 30 handicap. I'm terrible. I just don't get enough time to play, but we will have a good time. I, I'm looking forward to the – and, you know – we, we didn't have it last year because of COVID, right? We or held we it in September, but we only had one flight. That's right. So usually, traditionally for our listeners, usually we have a morning and an afternoon flight for our golf outing. And because of COVID, we pushed it back to September of 2020 and we only had one flight. Yeah, that's right. So I did not golf last year. I did golf the year before, but it was a rain out. Uh, We've had some bad luck. Yeah. And so in all, in all my buddies that, have, that golf it, especially the class of 91, Guys like Whiff Farrell and Rob Likes and then 92, Matt Scanlon. All those guys love it. And then even class of 95 guys like my brother Dominic and Clay Wolf and the Darlings. You know, all those guys, they say it's one of the best golf outings they ever do. So this year I'm really looking forward into participating. I am in the afternoon flight, not the morning flight. Those guys in the morning flight, they sit out there. On they the sit eight, on the veranda on and kind and, of... And, yeah, and heckling and, and heckle people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, unfortunately, because of COVID, we had to cancel our 2020 Rock the Nest trivia night, but we brought it back this year in a virtual format. And Mike was gracious enough to be our MC again. 
And I have to ask, usually you're the man reading the questions, but are you actually any good at answering trivia questions? No, I'm not I'm not that great at trivia questions. There's just some people who are just good at remembering those facts, right? I can't remember my kids' names, let alone trying to remember, you know, who wrote um, 1985 hit song to Top Gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I'm not great at trivia, but I can read. I mean, I, I can at least do that. Outside of work, what are some hobbies or things that you like to do for fun in your spare time? Uh, well, I still play trumpet. I play in a band. Uh, COVID has uh, obviously affected that. It's called Groove Puppet. We've been around since I'm one of the co-founders of the band. In 2000, uh, we started. So our, we just had our 20 year during COVID, uh, which we didn't 20 perform. years. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. In the mid 2000s was probably our peak, you know, 2005 to 2010 of our, our playing. We would, and it's before we all got married and had kids. We toured um, kind of regionally around the area. We played every Friday and Saturday night, private parties from uh, the Cox Classic to you name any big event in the area, we, we were usually playing it. And then, of course, we got married and had kids, and we cut back our schedule significantly. And, and right now we're trying to play about once a month. Uh, in 2020, we played once, obviously, because of COVID, but we're going to try to get cranked back up here, I think, in a little Do bit. Do you create your own music, or is it a you know, you we cover did. other people? Yeah, or? mostly a cover band, mostly a cover party band, you know, like, late nineties, two thousands, kind of alternative fun stuff. Um, but we did come out with a CD of original music in 2003 and we had a CD launch party at the Rococo theater in Lincoln, Nebraska. We had a thousand people there. It was awesome. So I do have a CD yeah. and, um, you know, I've got the CD on hanging on my wall in my basement. And so it's always fun to go back and I play the CD for my kids once in a while. And they're like, okay, dad, can we, can we listen to some Usher? Is it on or, iTunes? <laughs> uh, we, you know, we put the CD out before you could easily get stuff on iTunes. Yeah. But now you can get stuff on iTunes easily. You, well, and vinyls CD kind baby. of coming yeah. back. Well, that's so, true. We never did a, yeah. we never did a, a, a record, but that'd be fun to have a record. I always like to end our show by asking what was your favorite memory of Central? Is there one thing that stood out during your time? Man, there's a lot. Roadshow was really fun because you auditioned for Roadshow and I had a small combo band that my senior year we uh we we got on we got in the roadshow with a couple songs. Uh but one story and I've told this before, I've told it at Rock the Nest is if you heard earlier in the podcast, I was talking about maybe skipping some of my lunch hours going to Burger King. Well, before the end of the school year, it's probably a week or two before graduation, Doc Moeller calls me to his office. I get a note. The teacher gets a note and says, Hey, you got to go to doc Moeller's office. I'm like, Oh crap. Here you comes know, trouble. They found out I was skipping class. I'm not going to graduate. I want to be in big trouble. So I get up to, uh, I'm sweating bullets. Like I'm nervous. I'm like, this is it. It caught on to me. And so I get to his office and he goes, Mike, have a seat. So I sit down. He kind of looks at me and he's looking down at this paper and he's pausing. He's just kind of, I'm like, oh gosh, he's trying to figure he's out. He's not saying he's, anything. No, he's going to, he's trying to figure out how to break the news to me. And uh, he looks at me and I can see, he's got these glasses on. He looks at me and he says, Mike, how do you pronounce your last name? <laughs> <laughs> because we're, he, he was reading names at graduation. Mm -hmm. He wanted to make sure that he pronounced my name the proper way, the correct way of saying it. So I said, DiGiacomo. He goes, okay, DiGiacomo, 
the Giacomo. And he said it like three or four times. We got it. And then he wrote it down phonetically. And um, that was the only time I was in Doc Muller's office. <laughs> Thank gosh it went my way. Well, Mike, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. No, thank you. And keep up all the good work at the foundation. I, thank you for having me. It's really a big honor. Once again, I want to extend a big thank you to today's guest, 1991 alumnus Mike DiGiacomo. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed episode six of Eagle Tales. We would love to hear what you thought of this episode by emailing us at connect at chsfomaha.org or by tweeting us at chsfomaha. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for the Central High School Foundation. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can be notified of new episodes as they're released. A complete library of previous episodes is also available on our website. Once again, that's chsfomaha.org. And remember, near or far, you are part of the Central High School family. Go Eagles! Go Eagles! Go Eagles!